From tellmeyourdreams.com, this is Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. I'm Dane Sanders. Converge is a show about that space, that tension between finding work that pays the bills and making our work meaningful. The show lives where our personal and professional lives collide, giving all of us the chance to rethink how we live and labor in a work-from-everywhere economy. At some point in everyone's life, they have a fantasy in their mind where they've given a talk in front of a large group of people, and the response is extraordinary. They stand and cheer. The standing ovation is this kind of mythical moment that we see on film or we maybe have even experienced once in a while in person. But of course, we all know that that idea of public speaking is terrifying for so many people. Uh, It's not that they don't have something to say, it's just they don't know the process by which you can put it all together and present it in an authentic, true way that's true to who you are. But instead, people are scared and intimidated and just like really severely uncomfortable about the idea of drawing all this attention to themselves and not really delivering. Well, friends, if you've ever wondered if your voice could be heard, I want to suggest to you that you deserve to know at least the tactics that it takes to put yourself in that position. My guest is Grant Baldwin. He's the author of The Successful Speaker, Five Steps for Booking Gigs and Getting Paid and Building Your Platform. And he has done an extraordinary job. Him and he did it collaboratively with uh, another friend and, and friend of the show, Jeff Goins. And they created a really amazing resource. And you'll hear exactly how they they created this book. But more than that, you're going to see and hear some of what it will take for you to put yourself in the same position that Grant has put himself in, where you can demystify what it takes to actually get someone to want you to come and speak or to actually get paid for it. Or even if you wanted to build a platform where professional speaking was part of what you did, if that has ever been something that you've wanted to consider, um, my gosh, today's conversation is for you. And I'm confident by the time you're done, you're going to feel really glad that you listen, but more so feel empowered because you did. Grant Baldwin, welcome to Converge. Dane, good to be here, man. I appreciate it. We have been friends for a while, man. We, we, where, where did we meet? Was it a Chris Killebo event? I think it was. I was, I was thinking about that before we, we started recording here. I, I want to say maybe a Pioneer Nation way back in the day. Like I, th- I think he did two of them. Uh-huh. Uh, and then it, uh, I don't know what happened to it. But um, yeah, maybe that, maybe that first one, perhaps? I, yeah, I think it was. I, I love that event. It was so funny. Yeah. It's just it's so funny. Um, Chris is going to be on the show. But um, man, those were sweet days. Folks figuring their way out and plotting their course forward. And man, you have crushed it in the uh, speaker space and really empowering people to find their voice and build a platform and share and create value in the world. For those who don't know you, Grant, give a little kind of timeline on what got you from there to here. Yeah. So if we go, uh, if we go back in time, um, in high school, I was really involved in my local church and my youth pastor had a big impact in my life. And, uh, that just it really resonated with me. I was like, I want to do that. And so that's kind of the path I was on is, uh, eventually I worked at a, a different church as a youth pastor. And that for one, that gave me a lot of opportunities to speak and speaking was one of those things I, I really enjoyed. I felt like I was decent at and wanted to do more of, I just didn't really know what do you do? Like, how do you find gigs and who hires speakers and what do you speak about? And, uh, how much do you charge? And like, how 
how's this mysterious world work? And so I met a couple of speakers and I was stalking a bunch of speakers and just peppering people with questions and just trying to figure something out. And uh, eventually got to a point where I was booking a few gigs here and there and uh, more and more gigs over time. And finally got to a point where I was doing about 60 or 70 speaking gigs a year, speaking full time and loved it. It was, it was really, really fun. But at the time, I also had a lot of people who were asking me like, hey, I want to be a speaker. Uh, how would I go about doing that? Uh, and there were people who, uh, like me, wanted to speak full time. They wanted to do 50, 60, 70, 100 gigs a year. And other people are like, nope, that doesn't sound appealing. But I like speaking. I wouldn't mind doing, you know, I don't know, five gigs, 10 gigs a year here and there. And kind of as a supplement or uh, an, an extra thing I do in addition to my business. And But again, asking some of the same questions of how do I find gigs and what, how much do I charge and how does the world work? And so we started teaching a little bit of that here and there. And it really started to resonate with people. And so kind of made a, a, a pivot uh, four or five years ago. And that's really the core of what we do today is we teach people uh, the ins and outs of, of the speaking world. How do you find and book gigs and how much do you charge and how does that world work? So again, whether you want to speak full time or you want to speak a little bit here and there on the side and you know, speaking is one of those things I'm sure we'll, we'll get into and talk about where not everybody listening wants to be a full-time speaker, and that's fine. But a lot of us are giving presentations of some form, uh, and even just having our some of our day-to-day communication, whether that's with a, a spouse or significant other, or boss, or kids, or employees, or whatever it may be. Uh, so just understanding some of the general rules there and the general uh, best practices and things to to connect with people and and uh, connect with an audience. But speaking, I, I I know I'm biased, but speaking is is absolutely a great way to build a business and a, a great way to make an impact. So yeah, that's uh that's kind of been our our world to this moment. I love that. So if I'm at home and I'm listening in, whether I want to express myself or create a new income stream or learn how to pitch better or present at work or become a professional speaker and write books and travel the planet and or travel Zoom or whatever we do now. <laughs> right, right. Um, there's a sense in which really that anyone in that kind of space, if they want those things, but what they're facing are things like they don't know where to start, they feel a little scared, intimidated, uncomfortable. Uh, you know, they're qu- quietly Googling around, how do you do this thing? And mm-hmm. But they know deep in their gut that they want to figure out what their voice is and they want their voice to be heard, that their, their voice deserves to be heard, especially if the only thing between them and their voice being heard is that they don't know how it all works, that you're the place to go. And that, that's where I believe it is. And your book, The Successful Speaker, which just came out, holy moly, man, you... You kind of broke all the rules, right? Like the magician doesn't, isn't <laughs> supposed to like tell all the tricks, but you, you kind of broke it wide open. Share a little bit about about the project itself and and what you were hoping to accomplish. Yeah, so part of what we do with a, with a lot of what we do with a, the you know our, our podcasts and our, our different resources, our courses or programs or anything, is that I kind of want to create like what do I wish I had when I got started, you know? And I remember there was there was no podcast, there was no uh, book, there's no guide, there's no manual, there's no course, there's none of this stuff of just like how do you do this? And so that's what led to me just stalking a bunch of speakers and trying to figure out what it, and just annoying people with questions, I'm sure. And so just trying to create some of those resources that I wish I had. And so the the book is exactly that. What's fun about the book is is I, I think the I think the content's very helpful, but I think for your audience, what may be interesting is also how the book came together. So I I recognize the value of a book as an entrepreneur. Um, I had actually uh, written a I'd self-published book several years ago when I was doing a lot of speaking, and writing a book is as you know, it's just a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And there's some things that are just a, a lot of work in business. You're like, yeah, I know it's part of it, and I love it, and I can't wait to do it again. And other things, you're like, yeah, it's just there's other things I could be doing. And so I, I recognize the value. 
value of a book, but I was just like, it's just not high on my radar. I don't love writing. It's not my favorite thing. And so, so a couple of years ago, our mutual friend, uh, Jeff Goins, mm. um, through through uh, through a weird circumstance, reached out and said, um, "Hey, have you ever thought about writing a book?" And and Jeff and I were close friends, and we talked pretty regularly. And I was like, "Ah, eh, I don't know, maybe someday. I don't know." Uh, it just was like, again, it was important but not urgent at all. And uh, so he said, "Hey, I got there's a publisher who was asking if I knew of anyone who who could be a fit for something like this." And I thought of you, and and so we were kind of talking. They were kind of interested, and he he's just saying like, "I I just thought I'd see if you'd be interested." I was like, "Eh, what? Yeah, what?" I was just kind of like, "Maybe, maybe not. I don't know." So I don't know. Maybe a week or something goes by, and he reaches back out and says, "Hey, I got an idea. Uh, I'm kind of between projects right now. You have all this content. You have all this knowledge. You have all this experience. You have all this IP around speaking. What if I?" I just kind of serve as the ghostwriter for the project. I was like, okay, that's interesting. Um, and for those that don't know Jeff, Jeff, I'm sure you've had Jeff on the show and he's yeah. uh, a very prolific writer. He's a very good author. Um, very, very smart, knows the publishing world inside and out. So I kind of viewed it as like, okay, so, a, a, a and we presented it to the publisher and the publisher was really interested. And I said, all right, so let me get this straight. So a publisher is going to pay me in advance for Jeff Goins to write my book. Like, <laughs> yes, let's do that. That sounds great. Um, and I think a lot of times when, you know, ghostwriting is, is not uncommon at all amongst authors. Um, and a lot of times it's one of those things that is, I don't know, I think kind of like downplayed and not something that people, you know, pe- people want to give the impression that no, no, I wrote every single word. Um, and, and when an, it may still be like, I know in, in our case, like it's all my content, it's all my stories, it's all my, uh, like Jeff did a ton of interviews with me and we did a, uh, took a lot of existing content and a lot of things that were transcribed. And I know it's like, it's my words, but he was the writer for that. Mm. Um, and so it, it worked really well in, in that I recognize my strengths and my weaknesses and my skill set. So I've absolutely leaned into it as a, as a marketing advantage to say, uh, yeah, if, if, if I wrote this, uh, the content may be okay, but the book itself would, I don't think would be, uh, that great versus leaning in and saying, no, no, like Jeff wrote this and Jeff's a great writer. And a lot of people know that. And so, uh, leaning into that from a, a marketing perspective. And so, um, so really, really happy with the, with the project and recognizing like, Hey, just because you're a great speaker doesn't mean you're a great author. And just because you're a great author doesn't mean you're a great fill in the blank. And so feeling like, you know, just because you have one skill set doesn't mean you have, you know, all these other skill sets. So partnering with someone who did have that skill set and saying, Hey, I'm really good at this thing. You're really good at that thing. Let's work together and create something that's really, really good together. Mm. Uh, and I feel like we were able to, to do that. And the, the feedback we've, we've got on the book has, has also so, um, you know, uh, been a testament to that. Well, that's brilliant on several levels. I mean, on one level, your transparency, I think you're right. There's a lot of folks that feel almost like a sense of shame that they, if they've not crafted every single sentence, that they need to hide it or something mm-hmm. like that. And it's funny, I, it, you, you referenced this, but I've written a handful of books and the truth is uh, there's this other guy who never gets no credit named Andy Wolfenden, who's my editor, and he is brilliant. <laughs> like he just he gets paid to make people look good and to mm-hmm. take, you know, challenging, uh, not good first drafts and make them sing. And you're right, Jeff is an extraordinary writer. And you guys w- the fact that you talk about it first is fantastic because it really invites the listener on this show to go, hey, how can I collaborate? The second piece I love is that you and Jeff were friends. The combination of the value you've created for each other relationally that would open the door for Jeff to talk to the folks at Baker Books, to expand, the, the see what's possible, the combination of both of your networks, uh, the IP that you earn through blood, sweat, and tears being put in a form where 
to borrow a phrase from from the good folks at Storybrand, uh, you know, you guys were he burns some calories so your reader doesn't have to. And I think that that you've just done a real service for people. And I love one of your endorsers, John Acuff. I love how he put it. He says. He gets asked all the time, you know, how do you book more speaking gigs? Because he does a lot of speaking gigs. And he says, um, I can say instead, uh, have you read The Successful Speaker? If you got some questions about what it takes to be a consistently booked speaker, read this book, get ready to underline like crazy, and then do the steps Grant teaches. And you don't get endorsements like that or Mike Hyatt or Allie Worthington or, or any of these folks without the sense of quality being there. So uh, there's no question. If you're at home and you're thinking, I'd like to understand what it takes to be a successful speaker. My goodness, get yourself this book. It would be, you'll give yourself a, uh, that gift. And especially in the season, as folks are transitioning and thinking about what's next and industries are pivoting and adjusting and our whole world looks so different. Mm-hmm. Um, I think now is the time to be investing in skills that will translate in every industry and in every market. And whether you're Anne Hanley teaching everybody to write or Grant Baldwin and Jeff teaching everyone um, how to speak in a way that's compelling and enrolling and inviting, I can't recommend it enough. So let, let's jump into some questions. You mentioned uh, in a sense that this is kind of for everybody and also for specialists, people who are wanting to do more with it. But I can already hear the minds of some listeners right now thinking to themselves, yeah, but I'm an introvert. Sure. Uh, and, you know, Grant doesn't really get me in that regard. I don't want to jump on a stage and draw a bunch of attention to myself. What would you say to, to those folks who are disqualifying themselves before they get started because they think their personality is more internal than external? Yeah. Uh, most people, um, I've talked about this a lot publicly, but I'm pretty introverted myself. In fact, right before we started recording here, uh, you and I were just kind of catching up and, and, uh, talking shop and talking life at the time of this recording, we were kind of still in the thick of this, you know, quarantine life. And you and I were both kind of like, I don't know, it's not too bad. Like, I don't, you don't have to be around people. This is great. Um, (laughs) And like, you know, half joking, half serious. But I, I think I absolutely agree. Like, I think there's this big misconception that in order to be a speaker, you have to be this, you know, uh, Tony Robbins, uh, larger than life personality, bounce around a stage, charismatic. Um, and listen, if you are, if you check those boxes, great. But that's not at all a prerequisite or a requirement in order to be a speaker. Like I mentioned, I'm not only uh, very introverted. In fact, most speakers I know, most of it, we, we've done a lot of interviews with speakers on, on our podcast. And uh, a lot of speakers I know have said privately and publicly, like they're very introverted as well. Like we like being on stage. We like being around people, but it's also, it can be tiring. It can be really mentally, physically, emotionally uh, draining. And so, uh, so don't feel like you have to be this huge personality. I think like, you know, some, some good examples would be you take someone like a Brene Brown, who is a very uh, generally, generally like a, a more quiet, soft-spoken type of speaker and, and personality, uh, and you contrast that with a. And I have no idea if she's you know introverted or extroverted, but um, you contrast that with a like a Tony Robbins, who again is just kind of bouncing on the stage, clapping everyone on your feet, that sort of thing, and both work. Both are effective. I think that's one of my favorite things about speaking is whether you're talking about the business model and how many times you're speaking or how speaking fits into the mix or the style and and how you're communicating and how you're talking to an audience. There's not a one size fits all. Like this is the way you have to do it. If you watch a hundred different TED Talks, you will see a hundred different types or styles of presentations and they all work. They can all be effective. So it's you, you don't have to um, have some of these re- requirements in order to be a speaker. You can speak in a way that makes sense for you you that's genuine and authentic to you and still be effective. Mm, so good, man. So what are some other 
if if the extrovert introvert idea is a potential myth, what are some other myths that you've come across? And maybe contrast that with some truths you've experienced when it comes to speaking. Yeah, I think one uh, one mistake that a lot of speakers have a difficult time with is trying to be all things to all people. And so within the book, we talk through this five-step framework of how do you find and book gigs. And so the first part of the process, uh, the five-step process makes this acronym SPEAK, S-P-E-A-K. And the S is to select a problem to solve. And so this is the the more difficult part for a lot of speakers is we want to, we just like speaking. Speaking is just fun and it can be sure it's intimidating and sure it can be still nerve wracking, but we want to do a bunch of speaking. And so what that leads to is we speak to anybody and everybody. And so who do you speak to? I don't know. I speak to humans. Okay. Well, what do you speak about? Well, what do you want me to speak about? I can speak about anything. You know, I can speak about, you know, leadership or customer support or sales or culture or change or teamwork or family or marriage or faith. Or it's like, even if you know something about all those things, even if you're passionate about all those things, like you can't try to be all things for all people. It's kind of like, you know, you come from the world of photography and if someone said, you know, what kind of photography do you do? Well, I do every type of photography. You know, you just, you're looking at something and clicking a button. It's like, yeah, but like, there's a difference between, and again, I'm not a photographer, so I'm just kind of making this up. I'm assuming this is accurate. But when it comes to like taking something, taking a, a family portrait versus taking a wedding photography versus taking a picture of the ocean or a you know nature landscape or taking you know a, a sports photography and something that's moving, like the, it's all going to be there. There's going to be some overlap. But there's also a lot of nuance and difference to them. And so trying to say no, I I solve one specific problem for one specific audience versus trying to be all things for all people. So one thing we tell speakers all the time is you want to be the steakhouse and not the bus. Buffet, mm-hmm. the steakhouse and not the buffet. Meaning that like, you know, Dane, if you and I were going for, uh, we were going for, for dinner and we were looking for a good steak, like we could go to a buffet where steak is one of a hundred things that they offer and they're all mediocre. Or we could go to a steakhouse where they do one thing, but they do that one thing really, really, really well. And they don't do lasagna and they don't do tacos and they don't do pizza and they don't do cupcakes, but they do steak and that's it. And they're really good at that. And because they focus on one thing, it makes it easier for them to attract the right type of customer or client and repel the wrong type. And the the problem for a, a lot of speakers is just like, but I don't want to repel anyone. No, no, you do. You want to be able to attract the right type of people that are a fit for what it is that you do versus trying to be all things for all people. So I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions. One of the biggest challenges for speakers is, is trying to be all things for all people. Mm. It's funny. As you're talking, I was madly scratching on my whiteboard in front of me because you're, you're inspiring me on several levels. But the, the the word that kept coming up for me was the idea of preparation that um, – like I can, I can jump on an interview like this and I could go from the hip and try to look for some like leverage charisma or, or some clever idea that I've had in the past. And I might even be able to pull off this interview with you, but it'll cause kind of stress and anxiety. Uh, but in contrast, if I, you know, actually look at your book and read it and think about our friendship and think about your history and, and map a plan and do my homework, there's a sense in which I enjoy the work so much more. And yeah. even as you're describing the idea of you know, being a steakhouse and not being a buffet, there's a sense in which the buffet is kind of like not doing your homework as to where your specialty really could be mm-hmm. uh, in contrast with like, I don't totally know. So I'm going to go for everything and then really land as bland. A- am I yeah. hearing you right? No, absolutely. Because you, what the the challenge, and this is where a lot of speakers have a difficult time. And this isn't exclusive to just speakers. Again, this is true for any type of of entrepreneur or mm-hmm. creative endeavor. Mm-hmm. Is uh, what we're doing is we're forcing ourselves to make a decision. And we're forcing ourselves to choose. And by choosing one thing, we are not choosing something else. And so the default is to say, you know, let's go back to the steakhouse buffet. 
is the the chef at a steakhouse is saying, but 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 I I can make tacos, but I can make a good burger, but I can make lasagna, but I can make yes, maybe you can, and maybe all those things are great, but that's not what people want. People are coming to you because you can do one specific thing. So in the same way that again, going back to like the photography analogy for someone that's going, but I can take all these other types of pictures. Maybe you can, but if I'm looking for like good family pictures, um, you may be the best nature photographer uh, in the world, and like. Maybe that's kind of your thing, but that doesn't that doesn't give me a ton of confidence that you can take great pictures of my family, right? right. Um, and so saying like, no, no, I I do this. All I do is this. So if you're looking for someone to take uh, family pictures, then like if you're looking for a photographer who does family pictures of, you know, like I'm your person, I'm your I'm your guy, I'm your gal, versus trying to be all things for all people. So it, it's just difficult to choose because we think like we're eliminating options, and you are. You're eliminating options, even though you could offer those other things, but it actually it makes it simpler. I'll give you another example. Let's imagine, for example, that God forbid, you know, one of us had to have brain surgery, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we have a choice. Uh, we could go to a, our local family medical doctor that, you know, you go see once a year for a physical or whatever, and they went to medical school. They are a doctor. They've probably performed some surgeries. They probably know more about the brain than you and I do. Um, they are a medical professional. Or we could go to a brain surgeon and that's all they do. Like day in and you got a heart issue, you don't go to them. You got a broken foot, you don't go to them. You got a bad cough, you don't go to them. But if you got a brain issue, that's who you go to. And so that a, a brain surgeon could easily say, but, but, but I can do all these other things. Like, I don't need you to do all those other things. I need you to do one thing and be mm -hmm. really, really good mm -hmm. at that one thing. Right. I don't, I don't want to go to my, my family medical doctor and be like, man, I got this brain issue. He's like, I, I think I could probably figure it out. Let's, um, let's just give it a shot and see what happens. Like, I, I don't want that. I want the expert that's really good at that one thing, but cause it also, it makes it easier for me to, uh, it makes it easier for that doctor to find the right type of people and to repel the wrong type of, of, of customers or clients. Right. But the other thing, thing is when you're really, really good at one thing, it allows you to charge a premium versus being mediocre at a bunch of things. You can get steak at, a, at an Applebee's and you can get steak at a really nice restaurant and they're going to cost vastly different things, mm. um, even though they're both some variation of steak. Uh, and so a lot of that comes down to like, like being really, really good at one thing versus trying to be mediocre at a bunch of things. I want to hear two stories from you because you're you're in a position now where you you get the benefit of looking back uh, at your experience and you may not have the the first one uh, in fact I'll offer my first story and then you can offer your two. So my first story is my swing and a miss story that relates to public speaking and it was early in my career it was probably gosh 15 years ago I was speaking at a uh, a trade show and uh, first of all, speaking at a trade show is like a nightmare because there's so much noise and there's so much going on. I was at a booth. There's about yeah. 10,000 people there. And I got up and in this booth for this company I was speaking for, uh, they had like 50 seats, let's call it. Um, they said, okay, you're on. And I went on and there was one person in the entire room uh, yeah. in the, in the, of the 50 seats. And I looked over and the person knew that, like saw that I was about to start. And he literally went from facing forward to facing sideways. He was only sitting there to <sighs> rest his feet. He had no interest in what I had to say. So <laughs> I literally, it was such a, um, a moment of truth where I was like, am I going to, am I willing to stand and deliver when I have an audience of zero? Um, and I honestly, it was such a great moment where I laughed at myself, didn't take myself too seriously. And I, I like gave it my all to nobody, but I knew that if I could get through that talk, 
if I ever had a crowd, I'd have a real shot at making a difference. And yeah. so I'm curious, do you have like any swing and a miss stories in your in your career that we could learn from together, especially if folks are just terrified of those moments, right? Of like freezing on stage or not being uh, like a technical difficulty or your mic breaks or whatever, like some fun swing and a miss story uh, where you're looking back and you're like, man, that was actually helpful for me. And then the second story I'd love to hear was a surprise home run where you thought it was going to be a train wreck, but it turned into just a, a really significant milestone in your own speaking career. Yeah, let me uh, let me give you both, and then we can kind of go back, and I'll explain uh, why both of them happened the way they did. So uh, I can give you a, a couple on on the swing and a miss side. I, I remember one time doing a, a school assembly. I used to do a lot of uh, in the education space. So I did a high school assembly years ago. And I was speaking on this Friday afternoon and it was, uh, the day before spring break. So the only thing standing between, you know, the, this thousand teenagers and spring break is me, uh, which is not where you want to be as a speaker. <laughs> and this is also, um, uh, during, I think volleyball season. And so they come over the intercom, like halfway through my talk and they're like, okay, the volleyball team can be dismissed go to your such and such a game. Uh, the buses are waiting for you. Right. So now all of a sudden I've got like, I don't know, 30 some girls all over the gymnasium standing up and leaving, you know, in in the middle of the talk. Well, then you've got a bunch of of teenage guys who are just being dumb and just being goofy. Uh, and a bunch of like 10, 15 guys stand up and they start leaving too. And everyone's kind of snake. Like, what are those good? So you're like, you're in the middle of the talk and you've got a decent enough people, uh, like chunk of people who are all over the audience, just standing up and leaving some legitimately, some illegitimately. And you're just like, Oh my gosh, just, just go on spring break. Make, uh, um, so you have stuff like that. I remember a time speaking in New Jersey and, the uh, um, uh, I was at this big hotel and the, the, uh, they were doing some construction outside the property and, uh, the power for the entire hotel got cut. And thankfully I wasn't in the, I just finished a keynote. I was getting ready to do the workshop. And uh, I said, I'm, I'm fine to do it in the, in the dark. It was like this interior room. There's no exterior windows. And so we had everyone turn on the flashlight on their phone. And I, I did this workshop in the dark. Um, so you have Amazing. like, those, yeah, you just have those things where you're just like, this is fun. Like, let's just, let's just roll with this type of thing. Uh, I remember a time speaking in a, a, a dog comes in the room and comes like zipping around the room and like, you, you can't <laughs> like, it's, it's hard to come back from that and kind of regroup from that. Um, but it creates this fun moment. So here's what I was going to say was like kind of the thought process behind those is when, when you kind of look at a talk, when you evaluate a talk and you figure out, you know, did it go well, did it not go well? There's three factors at play here. One is going to be you as the speaker. Did you do your part? Were you prepared? Were you ready? Or did you just kind of phone it in? Were you just going through the motions? Right? So there's times where like it, it went, it went well. And it's, it's in large part because I like, I really did my work and there's times where it didn't go well. And it's in large part because like I didn't, I wasn't prepared. I was just kind of phoning it in type of thing. Right? So part of it's going to be the speaker. Another variable and factor here is going to be the audience. Meaning that let's imagine that you're getting ready to speak to a group of, of, you know, sales professionals. And right before you speak, you know, the, the VP of sales hops up and says, okay, bad news. We're just, we're gonna have to make some budget cuts. So we're, we're going to have to actually lay off half of you. And so, uh, we brought this speaker here. He's going to give you a little pep talk. And then, um, right afterwards we are going to meet and, um, half of you are going to lose your job. So please welcome to the stage. Dane <laughs> it doesn't matter what you say. It's not going to go over well. You can be dialed in and prepared, but the audience is not set up to receive what you're sharing. Mm. And then the third factor is going to be the environment. And so kind of what you described there at a trade show where there's a, there's a ton of other things going on. There's people coming and going. There's a ton of noise. Nobody's really focused. And it's, it reminds me, um, I was speaking at a conference several years ago 
and I did the keynote and it was in this kind of industrial warehouse. There was, it was set up for about 2000 people and they had about 2000 people there and it was great. It worked out fine. And then right afterwards I was doing a workshop and they're like, we don't really have another, you know, setting for you. So we're just going to have you do the workshop here in the same room and for about 50 people. And so when you're doing a, a presentation for 2000 people in a room that seats 2000 people, it, it works fine. When you're doing a presentation for 50 people in a room that seats 2000 people, it's a bit of a bust. And mm. so there are things you can do, same with like you, that in the trade show, there's a ton of movement and activity. So there's, you know, you can work your magic and do do your best in the situation, but there are certain things that are outside of your control. The power getting cut there, the dog running around, those are things that are outside of my control, right? So you have to recognize like sometimes the talk didn't go great and there's nothing I could have really done differently, right? It just kind of, it was what it was. It is what it is, that sort of thing. And so being able to just objectively look at the different variables and factors that went into, you know, the, the presentation, you know, there's, there's going to be days where I'm sure as a photographer, like, man, these pictures were flawless. And it's because of the, the sun, it's because of the clouds, it's because of like things that I cannot control. I had nothing to do with, but the weather was flawless that day. And so as a result, we got some amazing pictures because of things that I, you know, I did my part, but there's also some other factors at play there. Um, but the other thing I would say is that when things don't go well, so when the dog comes running in, the power gets cut, uh, those type of things, I actually really like those moments because it creates like this raw, real moment. I think sometimes when speakers are presenting, especially like on a, you know, professional speakers who speak a lot, you get an audience can feel like, well, this is, you know, this is kind of their shtick. This is their, their, we got their thing. But when something happens that's outside of the norm, it creates this like, oh, you had to be there type of moment, right? And it was like this inside joke that we were all a part of uh, that, that were there in that room. And so I really, I really like those genuine, authentic, real raw moments that are kind of off script, so to speak, and just create this, this unique experience. So yeah, there, there's things, uh, there's times where gigs go really, really well. And there's times where gigs don't go so well. And some of it's because of you and some of it has nothing to do with you. Mm. It's funny. You're bringing me back. I, I remember once I was uh, South by Southwest and I was in a room, it was a packed out room. And uh, I remember the speaker was coming on to talk about this notion of how to make design more human. And we were all super excited and there was a bunch of who's who in there. And there's actually, I think, three or four main stage TED speakers in the room, like not a TEDx, but like TED yeah, in, in the yeah. room. And this woman who was going to present, uh, her her plane got canceled or whatever. She didn't make it. And uh, the handler for the room got up and basically said, hey, uh, she's not going to make it. Sorry to hear that. But is there anybody here who wants the stage? Is basically what she said. Like, who wants the stage? And, it's risky. <laughs> and, and she called out, but she was smart. She called out. She's like, I know there are three. This is how I knew this. There, there are three or four main stage TED speakers in the room right now. Which of you want to come up and share? And nobody buzzed. And I was on the phone with my wife, and um, we we're just waiting for it to get started. She was at home, and I was in Austin. And I said, uh, she said, so what are you doing right now? And I said, I think I'm going to give a talk. And she's like, <laughs> she's like, what? And I hang up the phone and I walk up and the handler's like, oh, one, well, don't know who you are, but wonderful. And yeah. um, she said, uh, uh, what's your talk going to be? And I said, oh, I'll tell you in a minute kind of thing. So <laughs> here's a situation where like, I'm not prepared for the moment, but yeah. I, I had, I, I was kind of, I'd done you know, a lot of talks or whatever, but I, I, did, I had no idea what I was going to do. And my opening line was something like, so I've always wanted to be a South by Southwest speaker. And yeah. all of a sudden the room kind of cheered <laughs> and they went from an audience to like, we were doing something together. 
Yes. And, yes. and I don't think anyone remembers anything I said whatsoever, but we had a moment that was that really profound. In fact, one, it got picked up by a bunch of press and somebody wrote this article called uh, The Million Dollar Moment That You Didn't choose or something like yeah. that. And they talked, and again, he said the same thing, like no one remembers what I said, but they remembered that I stood up and did something. And so much of what you're describing and really are demystifying in the successful speaker is inviting people to have an opportunity to be able to stand and deliver in any given moment, whether they prep and they're pros and they're doing 50 gigs a year, or they just want to have an ability to put together cogent ideas and present in a compelling way that enrolls people Man, you are giving people a gift with this thing. And, and you're right. There's something that's profound about surprise and delight. When people are expecting the same old thing, they can kind of just kind of coast and not remember anything. But when you can provide a surprise moment with that dog working through the room or the volleyball players leaving the gym, or and you can do something special, isn't that when, when things get really magical? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's also important to remember, like sometimes we assume that, all right, you're a speaker, you're standing on the stage and it's kind of part of what creates this fear or nervousness or anxiety among speakers is that uh, we feel like it's this us versus them thing that I'm up here, you're down there. Uh, you feel like you're you're just in the lion's den there, like you're getting ready to be eaten alive or something. Mm. And the reality is, is like the audience wants you to do well. The audience wants you to do well. Like we've all, we've all, everyone listening right now, we've all been in audiences before. We've been sitting in audiences and we never want the speaker to suck. Mm. We want the speaker to be good because I'm going to be sitting there listening to you. If I got to sit here and listen, I want you to do a good job, right? I'm not rooting for you to fail. And so it's not this us versus them. The audience wants you to do good. So you're exactly right. When you get up there and you, and you say that and everyone realizes this, this weird, unique moment, it becomes this shared experience. We're all all in this together. We're all a part of this. You just happen to be the person at the front of the room with a microphone talking about something. But we're all a part of this this type of, of unique moment, this unique experience. And so every time you get up to speak, whether that, again, whether that's a, a professional thing at a South by Southwest or you're are, are doing some type of workshop or keynote, or it may just be you're leading a, you know, a meeting at work or you're uh, over dinner with your spouse or you're, you know, having a conversation with your kids. It could be any number of things, but like those moments and communicating those moments clearly uh, really makes a big difference. Mm. All right, man. I want to honor your time. Last question. Um, so picture what's, what's that, uh, you're, you're in Nashville and there's a, what's that monkey coffee place downtown? What's that called again? Frothy monkey. Frothy monkey. Okay. So I love frothy monkey. (laughs) And, um, so I want you to picture like we're, we're no longer quarantined. You're allowed to sit down and have coffee face to face with another human being. And someone on the other end of this podcast has a chance to sit down with Grant Baldwin and is ready to kind of spill their, their guts. And they say to you, man, I listened to the interview you did with Dane and I'm I'm really man I'm a little scared but I really want to I don't know if I'll ever become a pro speaker or whatever but I want to do the next right thing. Yeah. And and you like them for whatever reason they bought the coffee whatever. <laughs> what what do you say to someone over coffee around what and they want to get moving uh, what do they do first? Uh, well, the first thing they, they hopefully have already read the book, uh, because that'll be, that'll give you a long way there. What I would say is, you know, everything that we've talked about here, everything that's in the book is simple, but it's not easy. 
It's simple, but it's not easy, right? And uh, you kind of touched on this earlier, but I, I love the idea of, I remember I had a, a speaker friend telling me early on, like a lot of times we 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 love the finished product. We love the result. I want to just get on stage and I want to speak. I want to look at the finished picture and look how cool that is. But one of the things we have to do is we have to fall in love with the process. And so one of the things he told me is he said, you know, you, you have to fall in love with the craft of speaking. You have to fall in love with the business of speaking and being able to find and book gigs. And like, that's the part that you have to fall in love with. It's kind of like Dane and I, we are uh, middle-aged dudes who are trying to avoid dad bod, who are trying not to, <laughs> you know, shed a few tears when we look at ourselves in the mirror. We want our wives to be semi-proud of us. Uh, and so what that requires is we, we, we got to fall in love with the process. Like I, I would prefer to eat ice cream and junk food every day. I would prefer to sleep in uh, most days. I would prefer to not exercise or work out. But if I want the result, then I have to fall in love with the process. And the process is simple, but it's not easy, you know? So if you wanted to lose 10 pounds, what do you got to do? Well, you got to pay attention to what you eat and you need to exercise. That's it, right? None of us, at least I'm not, I'm not no health expert, but I know those are the two things you have to do. It's simple, but it's not easy. It still requires work. It still requires discipline. So reading a book, listening to a podcast, any of those things, that's all great stuff. By all means, do those things. But you have to do something as a result. If you just smile and you nod, you're like, yeah, all right, I feel good. Like, okay, that's good, but that's not going to change anything for you. Uh, so that all of a sudden gigs aren't going to magically find you just because you smiled and nodded. You have to do something with it and you have to, to apply what we're covering and what we're talking about. So that's the biggest thing I would say to anybody is, is it, it's simple, but it's not easy. So friends at home, if you are in a place where you are wondering and dreaming, you 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 think that life as a speaker is just going to be trial and error, you feel stuck at like moving forward, either professionally or as just an enthusiast, but instead you want to understand exactly what it takes, exactly the tactics that you need to launch right now. And you want to really, what you want to do is you want to remove the excuses in your life as to what's getting in the way. I can't encourage you enough. Go get The Successful Speaker by Grant Baldwin and get it today, uh, like Amazon right now. And and in the meantime, jump on grantbaldwin.com and take his free speaking biz marketing course. Like get in the conversation, get familiar with the process that Grant is describing and see if it's something that you could fall in love with. Because your Grant is so right. It, to, to fantasize about the standing ovation, when the opportunity really is right in front of you to take the single next step, go do that today. Grant Baldwin, thank you so much for being on Converge. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it, buddy. This was episode seven, season five of the Business of Creativity podcast. Converge is made possible thanks to the Habit Course from TellMeYourDreams.com. TMYD provides world-class coaching designed specifically for remote teams. Find out why Forbes magazine called TMYD's Habit Course the online course to master working from home. Sign up today at TellMeYourDreams.com.